Welcome to Beyond Trauma, a podcast from therapists for clients about the healing journey. We hope this will be a resource of encouragement, comfort, insight, and understanding for you along this courageous process. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Beyond Trauma, a guide for your healing journey. We are at episode five of our first season called The Therapeutic Journey. Uh, Before we jump in, we wanted to kind of talk a little bit about our Patreon, uh, which is an amazing way that uh, listeners can partner with us to support what we're doing and also gain access to some really cool uh, material, which I kind of just wanted to go over. So we have three tiers. We have a $3 a month, a $5 a month, and a $10 a month. For the $3 a month, you get priority question asking for Q&A episodes that we do, and also just the knowledge that you're helping us uh, really participate and and shape culture and to do what we want to do every day, which is share uh, in healing with other people. The $5 a month uh, gets you one bonus episode every month, plus everything in the $3 tier. And then the highest number, the $10 a month, gives you discounts on all of our resources and online courses like the Mental Health First Aid Kit that we just published. Also gets you a large Beyond Trauma logo decal, which is weather resistant, so you can use it outside or inside. And it gets you everything else in the 3 to $5 tiers as well. So if you're interested in that and want to become a part of our community and support us, you can go to uh, patreon.com backslash beyond trauma podcast. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about some really important um, preliminary things that happen when you go to therapy. One of them is the history taking process. We're also going to talk about treatment planning and diagnosis. Um, all of these things are really integral to the whole therapeutic process, so we kind of want to do a little bit of a deep dive so that you guys know what to expect. Yeah, the first element that we're going to kind of talk about is history taking. So this is a fancy way that therapists talk about basically just getting to know you and what is relevant uh, to them about the therapeutic process. So based on where they're at in their theoretical orientation, different therapists are going to have a different opinion about what's necessary in history taking. Um, So I don't know what feels right to you guys as far as talk. Do you want to spend time talking about the different types of therapies and what might be relevant? I think at least a little bit, just because there is so much divergence in how this is done. I think one of the, the places that we see a big split is in what we would call an agency setting versus a private practice setting. Mm -hmm. Um, A therapist in an agency setting doesn't get to choose what their history taking process is. We're given a list of assessment tools that we have to stick to. Yeah. Um, Both Jen and I used to do this for an agency, um, and it was literally like three hours of filling out long forms and having to ask specific questions in very specific ways. And there were only you know so many checkmark boxes of answers that you could give. Now. As a therapist, we could kind of give our summary after the fact, but it was very, very standardized, very structured. Um, I totally hated it, to be honest, but you got... Really? That's not coming through. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't my favorite thing, so I don't do that anymore. Um, But yeah, I think there, there is that experience. If you're in an agency setting or something that is more formalized, you're likely to run into very standardized and structured practices, specific assessment tools that have specific measures and things like that. And there may be a separate person that does that Mm -hmm. other than the actual therapist. So you may go into an intake assessment or session 
in that three to four hour block and go through all of that and then be designated a therapist that you work with who gets the summary and the notes. In yeah. private practice, it would more likely be the same person. Right. And it can be very time. different in private practice. For instance, like in my practice, I um, always like to like just let the client know and feel how much choice they have mm-hmm. in their time with me. So if it seems to be relevant to our first interaction, we might go into some history taking, but I don't ever do a start chronologically, let's go through the whole thing. And I think at our practice, we all share an aversion to that type Mm -hmm. of history taking because we know, uh, especially in the clients that we work with, um, chronology means trauma tracing. Right which mm-hmm. is really hard for people. It's so we don't activating. like to say, yeah, like, okay, start at the beginning and tell me all the way through exactly what happened to you. Right. Um, and then depending on how strictly we're sticking to our EMDR protocols, we might have different uh, history-taking methods for different symptoms or how, which, whichever way we're planning to go yeah. about the, the process. But for me, it's always, does it seem right uh, to the client and is it is it mm-hmm. a good space to maybe go into that are they in a regulated place where telling me a little bit of history on the symptom or the issue that we're working on might be possible yeah. for them yeah. and in our practice we have like initial paperwork we send out before the first session and there is a document in there that is like history taking but it's a very brief very mm-hmm. surface level that just asks a handful of questions that are really critical that we know going into that first session and right. have um, a, a gentle guide as to are we working with something um, related to suicidal ideation? Mm-hmm. Are we working with something related, you know, like gives us a framework and how to move forward. So that may be a piece that's a, a brief history. That's different than like a, a full throw yes. history taking, right. which we practice that as really all of your work that you do with your therapist is a gradual collection yes. of that. It's not this There's deep no dive. There's no one download. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but we're, we're just gradually picking it up through small conversations here and there and collecting that history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you think about, you know, if you were to sit down and try to tell your life story from start to finish, that takes hours. Mm-hmm. And it's different every time. And it, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and what feels relevant to share, what you even remember is kind of a moving target. And so for a lot of us that, you know, our practices are really trauma-focused and trauma-informed, it really isn't um, necessary for mm-hmm. us to get that kind of information at the forefront um, and really kind of take the approach that whatever is relevant in your history is going to come up as we're talking naturally. Yeah. And that really spares you the uncomfortable experience of trying to talk about all the worst moments of your life in rapid succession and hopefully see if you can fit it into an hour. Like, no. no to that, someone you don't know. To someone right. you don't know. <laughs> right. in a, in yeah, a totally that'll go new well. Situation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel really um, good. Yeah. But, and, and I know we talked about this before in a previous episode, but a lot of people uh, expect that this is what is expected of them. So when they come into their first yeah. session or the first few sessions, they just kind of start doing this spontaneously. Yeah, and so, just sort of like vomiting. Yeah. Almost. Just like, yeah. here's, here's all this. Yeah, like they feel compelled to tell us their this story. This must be relevant. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think there is room for maybe that's what it really feels like you need to do. Yeah. Like you need to hear yourself say these things out loud. If that's the case, then let your therapist know, hey, I think I just need space to do this. Can we do that? And they're definitely going to say yes to that. But if you check in with yourself and say, maybe this isn't what feels the best to me. Maybe I'm just doing this because I think this is what I have to do. Yeah. Um, know that you don't. You don't have to do that. There are a lot of ways of treating the symptoms that are presenting without ever going into the nitty gritty detail of what you've been through. 
And for a lot of my clients, and frankly for me myself, that was kind of relieving yes. to realize, like, oh, you don't have to. No, to heal. I get control over it now. Yes, I didn't get to control it when it happened to me, but I get to control now when I'm yeah. ready to how share powerful. that mm-hmm. and how I share it. Yes, yeah, yeah. So that is a a huge thing that we wanted to talk about with history taking. Yes. You know, main point being, there's a lot of variation here in what you're going to experience. There's no one way to do history taking. And number two, that you have control over the pace of that. Even if you have somebody that's doing a more structured version mm-hmm. and they've got their forms and their little checklist and all of that, if they ask you a question and you're not comfortable, you don't have to share that. You is, don't have yes, to share it. Yes. I just want to pause. Like, Can we highlight that? If yes. we had a giant highlighter, we would We're highlight going to that for you. vocally highlight. You <laughs> don't think, have to answer that. An yes. easy response is just, I don't know that I'm ready to talk about that. Right. That's a little too tender for me. Oh, yeah. yeah. No. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or even just saying, I'd like to wait to tell you about that later. Yeah. yeah. You know, like gentle comments like that. And any any good therapist is yes. immediately going to say, of Key course. Into that. And I say, totally thank understand. you for thank telling you for me telling that. Me. Yes. Because and it's your process. Yeah. That's an indication that mm. that may not be the right fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. If they don't yeah. honor your need to pace that. Yes. And you're, it's always your process. That is one thing I try to really emphasize with all of my clients the whole time, even just saying that sometimes. It's just like, it's your process. Mm-hmm. Wherever you're at, mm-hmm. I'm there with you. Yeah. So if you're not ready to talk about it, we can talk about something else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think history taking can be a really compassionate experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely serves an important purpose as the timing is right. Um, as we get into talking even more about our model and our approach, it is our history. It is those life experiences mm-hmm. that have shaped our nervous system, that have been stored in our um, memories, our, our experiences. It starts to shape who we are today and has an influence on our relationships, on um, our symptoms, all of those things. So history is important. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people think that's been, it's over, that's done, right. it's in the past. This is what I need to deal with now. And so that might not mean you're not ready to explore history yet, but it will serve a very valuable piece in the process of healing Mm -hmm. and so when that timing's right we'll get there and we'll Mm -hmm. use that material to help with the healing process that's right yeah so the next piece of this that we wanted to talk about was the the idea of diagnosis Mm. and we're gonna kind of reveal that we have a little bit of a what what do we want to call it a bias predisposition predisposition (laughs) frustration (laughs) yeah so so here's the nuts and bolts of it we don't like it um there are some very legitimate and very good reasons why diagnosis is a thing in our field, but we tend to believe that it is overused and misunderstood misunderstood, and can actually be used for bad purposes. Um, you can tell how careful I'm being, can't you? Yes. <laughs> Like choosing every word very carefully. Which is good because I'm just like, yeah. oh, let's say it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does serve a purpose. But the, the truth is, as many of you probably really relate to this idea, is that if we put a label on ourselves or on somebody else, it becomes a handle by which we can manipulate a person rather than actually interacting with the person themselves. And it's just different mm-hmm. than our preconceived idea of what diagnosis means. Right. For instance, a diagnosis between a cancer right. and depression. 
very, very different things. But we don't make that distinction in our speech. We have diagnosis. Mm -hmm. That's the only language that so, we use. So, Bridger, can you go ahead and make that distinction? I am going to. Yes. Thank you for asking that question. <laughs> I, I love to use that because depression, even when you just phrase it that way, diagnosis for cancer is for the purpose of treatment, which, mm -hmm. yes, the diagnosis of depression is for treatment. Mm -hmm. But it is not the same process as looking up the uh, as looking up the treatment for cancer right there is not that same one-to-one -one or three-to-one you know uh manualized treatment process mm -hmm. for depression mm -hmm. and so it just sets everyone up everyone in the conversation at all who's seeing diagnosis major depressive disorder right that's a problem because mm -hmm. then that means i'm going to go back into my medical model brain and look for the treatment manual for major depressive disorder right. the dsm the diagnostic manual that all clinicians are trained to use has that process in it. Mm -hmm. It even has this thing called evidence-based treatments, mm -hmm. which are the way that this thing is supposed to be treated the same way that, that radiation is to treat cancer. Very, very problematic when it comes to mental health treatment because the way we understand uh, symptoms at Beyond Healing Center is a creative expression of the nervous system. Just listen to the postural shift that that invites you into. It goes from sort of like judging for the sake of treatment to embracing, mm -hmm. encountering, meeting, trying to understand, becoming a student too. Mm -hmm. Why is that nervous system deciding to express itself? With. And the natural assumption with which you just said, Bridger, <clears throat> is there's a good reason for it. Exactly. It's adaptive. Yes. This is whatever presentation, symptomatic presentation we're working with, we see it as an adaptive response to a crazy life situation. Yes. And there are multiple versions of what those external stimuli can be that create that adaptation. Uh, but at the end of the day, the reason why we do what we do is to try to survive. And when we understand that our nervous system is just trying to explain to us why this was necessary for our own survival, that is a much more robust way of approaching mental health treatment than saying, oh, you just have a chemical off in your brain and that's the problem and stopping there and applying medication to that and hoping for the best. Now, that may occasionally be um, a accurate, simplistic explanation of what's going on, but in our experience, that is beyond rare. Yes. Um, in Almost to make it useless in terms yes. of clinical application. Well, and I think that's why we at Beyond Healing Center talk about whack-a-mole mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. You'll hear us make that distinction towards different things uh, for good reason, because we believe that if you go symptom hunting that's all you're going to catch are symptoms right. you're right. just going to focus on symptoms the whole time mm -hmm. what we want to do is shift our understanding to what is causing those symptoms to come about what's right. actually at the base root level that's being expressed in the foliage of symptoms mm -hmm. why is it doing that you know i think that and i don't know if you guys have had this experience but i've definitely had clients and certainly family of clients that really desire a diagnosis. Yes. They want it because there's this this feeling of, if you could just tell me what's wrong with me or what's wrong with my kid, then somehow I'm gonna be able to relax around this situation. Or if, if we can identify what's wrong, then certainly there's gonna be a clear solution. Because yeah. they just have bipolar disorder. Right, and if That's... we can take the medication for bipolar, then I'm gonna expect that they get better. 
And the that's problematic for many reasons, but the main reason is because that is not reality. Yes. If somebody comes in with a child and they say, oh, the doctor just told me that my child has ADHD. Well, okay, so you're going to get medication for ADHD, but any parent that for has a ever... For child. Yeah. Any parent that has ever had a kid in that situation or any person that was that child in that situation knows the world does not get better with the simple application of a pill. And expecting and setting them up for the disappointment of, I start this medication and something still doesn't get better or things don't get better enough for it to not be a yes. real issue is actually really traumatizing to families. It creates yeah. a false dichotomy that is shame-based. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. If I don't get better because of this symptom treatment, right. something is wrong with me. Right, right, yeah. To give an example on the flip side of that, though, yeah. where I think it can actually be really helpful beautiful. in ways. Beautiful. Yes. Yes. It's, yes, it's about how it's handled yes. and the follow-up from that is to get a label on something mm -hmm. opens up doors for more understanding. It's affirming. Yes, yes, it's affirming. There's a broader sense of understanding. There are, there's material you can Resources read to begin there. to yes. understand yes. and say, oh, it's And I love it when me. people use diagnosis for that. When yes. it opens up creativity. Yes. Mm -hmm. When it has an expansive quality to it rather than a restrictive quality. It's I think beautiful. that's really helpful. I yeah. think of, uh, for example, my um, daughter struggling with OCD symptoms and one portion of her symptoms were just really challenging for her and mm -hmm. shame-based mm -hmm. and she struggled with what is wrong with me like right. this yeah. but when she could see a diagnosis and look at it in a book and it said this is someone with OCD with this type will be thinking these list of things mm -hmm. she was like oh, yeah that's on she paper. felt so seen yeah. that's not just me yes yeah. someone else does that too yes. yeah and it was this huge relief that could open yeah. us to a process of beginning to work on that. Yeah, and community. Like you said, yes. like, I'm not the only one going through this. Mm -hmm. Here's yes. a umbrella under which many people are gathered. Yeah. So it's about how delicately we take this process and what we use it for. Yeah. Um, and that it's always met with it from a place of curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, grace, and empowerment. Connection, empowerment. Yes. Because yes. yes. yeah, that's an empowering story for her, yeah. right? To be able to look at that list and go, oh my goodness, this isn't just me. And now there's empowerment around, there's hope for this, yes. right? Because there's been research done on it, there's people writing about it. The other diagnosis that I think is really important that someone be validated around is DID. Mm -hmm. So, dissociative identity mm -hmm. disorder, sure. previously called multiple personalities. Um, you know, these people, they, they legit feel like they're losing their mind, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it is so yeah. um, bewildering when symptoms start to emerge that being able to say, this is what this is, this is how this kind of diagnosis comes about, and we know what to do about it. That's right. Is so, I, I don't even know. Like that's all you need to do in a session, yes. right? In order to bring somebody a little bit of relief. Um, and so there are times where it's empowering, where it's uh, incredibly helpful. And I think that that's kind of a good distinction is when that diagnosis is given, does it feel empowering and expansive or does it feel diminishing and restrictive? Yes. And that's what I always want to come back to in, in, in kind of summarizing or synthesizing how I feel about diagnosis because I think when I first start talking about it people just get this intense mm -hmm. reaction from well, me. You get a little intense about it. Sometimes. I do because I've seen people really abuse it. Well and yes. really hurt by it. Absolutely. And yes and really mm -hmm. hurt other people by it. Mm -hmm. I've seen clinicians wield it mm -hmm. as a reason to not pursue more curiosity. Right. 
because this person just has an anxiety yeah, disorder. Right. So it explains right. everything. Yep. Right. Yeah. Just do That's behavioral awesome. modification. We'll get mm-hmm. those symptoms down. You'll be fine. Or a personality disorder diagnosis. No, you want to start. Get... Okay. I was no, going to say, of any <laughs> diagnoses that are yes. the most damaging is the I have a client who will yeah. come back and say, my psychiatrist told me I have borderline personality. Mm-hmm. Am yeah. I as crazy as they are in the movies? Is mm-hmm. that who I am? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we take these stigmas that come along with it that media and yes. even mm-hmm. our culture, our field, blow way out of proportion. That's right. I must be crazy. I think my client, what she asked me is, isn't that where like they just murder people randomly? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my gosh, you tender oh, heart. Like that's yes. to be terrifying that yes. someone has yes. just told you that's mm-hmm. what you are. That's not a creative expression of your nervous system. That's no. who you are. Yeah. At the DNA yeah. level. Yeah. Schizophrenia is another incredible right. one. Where these are people that because of that diagnosis and what they're discarded. They are yes. sectioned off. Yes. They are put into asylums. Mm-hmm. This is the type of people that started the mental institution. Yes. This is why we cannot manage. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know was interpreted with a fear response. So let's just section them off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that is my ultimate fear. Right. That's what's underneath all of my right. intense emotion when we start talking about diagnosis. Yeah. I never want someone to feel like because of what someone said they are. Mm-hmm that they just have to exist that way. Mm-hmm. And that there becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy to that, that if yes. this is what I am, I begin to live that out in its most extreme forms. Mm-hmm. Something that just came to my mind, which is interesting, you know, we talk about people who have uh, battled against cancer before as cancer survivors, but I've never heard somebody talk about a depression survivor. Mm-hmm. Even the language that we use around it is so fixed. It's right. like, oh, I have depression. Yeah. I have. Give a little client story here, and I'll be very vague to protect her privacy, but a very, very sweet, sweet client of mine works in the school system and has really struggled with depression mm-hmm. and panic attacks and has reached a couple of um, mental breaks where she's had to step away from her position. Mm-hmm. They interviewed her to come back after one of her uh, medical leaves, and she was hospitalized for a short time, and... Um, due to mental health, they interviewed her and determined she could come back with these certain stipulations. Mm-hmm. And the words being, "This, you know this could never happen again. Mm-hmm. And her comment to me was, they would never do that to someone diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. That's right. They would never You can say, never get cancer again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just... Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Infuriating. Yes. Um, but mm-hmm. that is the way our culture looks at it mm-hmm. when we talk about diagnoses. Yeah. When we're throwing labels on that there's this expectation that rather than a medical diagnosis mm-hmm. that there's you know more grace and understanding with with mental health yeah. it's you need to fix this you can't allow that to occur so in saying all of this i feel like we need to make something explicit that um we're kind of beating around the bush about which is you can go to therapy and not have a diagnosis mm. you can go into therapy and get help for all kinds of things and that therapist may never have to give you a diagnosis now there are situations where they do have to. Yes. So, for instance, if you're filing insurance, that insurance company may require that. But you have a right to ask, what diagnosis are you putting on that? And sometimes there is room for flexibility about which one is chosen, um, not because we're lying, but simply because we can delay it and still get you the benefits through your insurance um, so that you can get treatment without putting a label on it that will be with you for the rest of your life because it was you know, recorded in your medical history. Um, so just know that it's okay to advocate for yourself around that, to ask questions about that. 
um, if you are filing insurance so that you really understand what's going on. But if you're paying someone out of pocket, or even if you are filing insurance, there are some situations where a diagnosis is not necessary. I don't have to give my client a diagnosis to treat them. As long as there is a clear path for, you know, between the two of us of what we're working on and how we're going to get there, I don't need a diagnosis to tell me how to do my job as a therapist. Great point. Very true. <laughs> Amen. Point. Amen. Yes. Done with that. Uh, yeah. So the next point, which is a really kind of natural lead into this, is treatment planning, right? That point of how do therapists decide what you're going to do and when you're going to do it and why are you doing it and all of that. In our vernacular, that's what we call treatment planning. And the purpose of treatment planning is really to be the guide of your process in treatment. And it also kind of engenders this uh, creative process between you and your therapist where you're mutually working together to find solutions for what's going on in your world. And you've hired them. You've hired this therapist to come alongside you and be your guide to creatively approach all of these problems and all of these struggles that you're having. And that is the treatment planning process. Some people, it's going to be very structured. They're actually going to tell you, today we're working on your treatment plan, or today we're working on goal 1A of your treatment plan, right? <laughs> Some people are a lot more structured about this. I can't remember the last time that I wrote out an actual treatment plan, but I've always got one in my head. Yes. I know what we're doing. I know where we're going. I know why we're doing it. But I'm having you know, a rebellious period in my career because I used to have to do them. <laughs> never doing them. No, I'm never doing them again. They stressed <laughs> me out. They just felt very restrictive. I don't know what your guys' relationship with treatment planning is. Same. I just don't want to write things down. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to say I do a much better job at it than I actually do is what I'm battling. <laughs> I want to say what I should do. What, um, what do you tell your supervisees to do, Jen? Oh, see, that's what I want to present, right? Yeah, I know. Um, I think it, it doesn't have to be rigid and, and as detailed as agencies require, yeah. which is where Melissa and I come from and kind of building up that disdain for it. Of, oh, we got enough <laughs> of that in for our life. Mm-hmm. Um, but there can be benefit, especially if it's a co-created process where the client is a part of it, um, to have an understanding of, the purpose of what we're doing now and kind of where we're moving. I think that can bring a lot of safety and comfort, whether that's spoken or it's written um, or it's stored in a database somewhere. But this idea of this is why we're doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And this is the direction. This is the hope that we hold for you Mm -hmm. and that they can kind of see that image and, and be able to reflect back on where they come from and really strengthening like their belief in themselves to make that progress and have hope for where they're headed. And so I think treatment planning in that context can be really powerful Mm -hmm. for the process. I agree. It's amazing, you guys, how much we forget. And, you know, they've done a ton of research on this. And, you know, that's part of why the power of journaling is a thing in mental health, right? Because reflecting back on where we've come from, our brain does this amazing thing where the minute that we heal from something, it starts to decide that it's not that important anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, file it away. <laughs> yeah, file it yeah. away. Like, yeah, that doesn't bother me anymore. So it is incredibly powerful to go back and say, hey, do you remember at the beginning of treatment how your goal was to be able to make eye contact with me? Yeah. And now here we are six months later. And you have been looking me in the eye this whole time. time. Like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And they're like, oh, I've completely forgotten about that. Yeah, exactly. And treatment planning provides us with those beautiful moments of reflection 
and mutual celebration about yeah. the process. And I think the way that uh, a diagnosis can also be helpful in treatment planning is to look at symptom reduction, um, yes. which again can be interpreted many different ways. But for for us, treatment uh, symptom reduction means because we've been focusing on the roots you're no longer struggling with anxiety the same way that you were. Mm -hmm. And you're no longer having these triggers all the time. You're able to do things that you weren't previously able to. Like, do you remember in this session when we talked about this and you were paralyzed with Mm -hmm. something that you just told me about you did a week ago with perfect ease? Yes. Isn't that incredible? And to watch the client just like, oh, wow. Uh And then notice what that feels like. Yes. To know that your system can do that, that you can handle that. How resourceful. How strong and how much change is really possible? Yes. How and how long? And look at the, yeah, six yeah. months. Look at yeah. what we've done. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. So you know, a point about treatment planning, whether it's really formal or whether it's more informal, like we tend to do, it's an ongoing collaboration, emergent process. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. you know, your goals are going to be as shifty and changey as you are as a human being. So just because we create this list of goals at the beginning does not mean that they're going to be relevant six months from now. So it's really normal practice that your therapist will kind of guide you to do a treatment plan review and sort of mm-hmm. check in on those goals and say, you know, how are you doing with that? And where are we now? And how do we feel like we can check that one off the list? Because that always feels good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then when you do and you get to that point where it's like, wow, we've achieved all those goals, then that naturally leads to a conversation of do you feel complete in your treatment? Have you addressed everything that was Uh, on your list of really wanting to work on or has there been a new emergent goal that Mm -hmm. we've discovered together Mm -hmm. and that is really really common yes Mm -hmm. yes very common and to be able to add that in to the process or just shift over and focus on that i think so many times clients come in thinking oh i'm here to work on this and quickly realize oh it's about so much more yes yeah to it yeah yes yeah all those therapist jokes about actually it was really about your mother all along they're Mm -hmm. true (laughs) they are that's true yeah (laughs) not because we're gonna blame it all on mom that's not the point but nervous system shaping and yeah really we'll get into that more (laughs) that joke is saying uh it really just all goes back to the person who shaped your nervous system right yeah, that's what it says. So all of you sure moms true. out there that might be panicking because <laughs> I know that Jen stress. and I are moms too. We get it, and you know, live with an uncomfortable consciousness of how we're shaping our children's nervous systems every day. Yes, yes, uncomfortable. For but sure. it's beautiful and necessary. It is. It is. Thanks from the you. outside. I will say that I'm not a mom, so I will just yeah. say. <laughs> okay, thank you guys for joining us in that conversation. Hopefully, some of that's been helpful for you as you've contemplated your healing process of maybe starting therapy or if you're already in it. Before we close out today, I want to share with you um, one resource that Bridger mentioned, our mental health first aid kit. And he mentioned it in the context of Patreon. If you become a Patreon member, you get a discount for this resource. But without being a Patreon member, you can still purchase it. Anyone can purchase it. Um, It's a course that we've designed that has a lot of mindfulness-based practices um, that have video, audio, They have an educational component as well as an experiential component, some really amazing content on there. So if you're interested in seeing what some of that is or purchasing that, you can access that resource at beyondhealingcenter.com. That's our general website. You'll click on the tab that says courses and then select mental health first aid kit. 
something you can use for yourself. You can gift it to another person. You can mm-hmm. buy a package of them if you want to work Give them to all your someone. family that you feel like needs help. Just yes. <laughs> I mean, really? Not, not really kidding. But <laughs> not kidding. Your mom. Um, Merry Christmas, mom. Yes. <laughs> um, so that is a great resource. In addition to that, I want to mention our social social media. We are starting a year-long campaign of breaking down our therapeutic approach and our model into little bit-sized pieces um, that are understandable and digestible that will be released through Instagram and Facebook. So it'll be a combination of posts and stories. We're getting really brave and courageous and yes. accessing our inner teenagers to do this. <laughs> <laughs> but we're really excited about it. We encourage you all to check that out. And um, yeah, you can just search us on Facebook at Beyond Healing Center. That's where you'll find that as well as Instagram. Mm-hmm. We should both be there. Yeah. So thank you guys again for joining and safe journeys, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Trauma, a psychotherapy podcast from therapists for clients about the journey of trauma recovery. While resources like this can be helpful, they should never take the place of or be used as therapy. We encourage you to find a trauma-informed therapist in your area to be your guide in this healing journey. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify, and we would appreciate it if you could leave us a review. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at beyondtraumapodcast.com. Thanks again for tuning in.